Time once again for another edition of the Built by Bama Online podcast. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com with you. Joined as always, well, for the most part anyway, Charlie Potter does an outstanding job covering the Crimson Tide for BamaOnline.com with us. And recruiting analyst, Hank South, longtime uh, analyst, expert when it comes to all things recruiting for BOL. He's with us as well. Guys, uh, as we bring you in here, I've got a couple of medical emergencies I'm battling through today, so hang with me on that. I have sort of an unidentified insect bite on my right bicep, so if if it goes just dead air at any point during the podcast, um, maybe just understand that, that this was maybe a little more poisonous than I first imagined, and also the front bonding on my front tooth here that, that I chipped a tooth in like 93 playing stupid rec league softball. I ran into a fence and chipped a tooth. Uh, it has fallen out as well. So I'm literally working on, <laughs> you know, tape and string right now, Charlie Potter. Just hang in there with me guys. All right. That sounded like oh, a I got you. announcement after the, the eight, eight game, you kind of, Went in the intro, everything expected, and then drop some health news on us. <laughs> you know, when you hit 50, guys, you start falling apart. You guys don't have to worry about that, you know, for a long time, Hank. But this is this is what <laughs> the missus gets to look forward to. Chip teeth and unidentified insect bites to, yeah. to, to a bicep that I used to have. It's not even a bicep anymore, Hank. Yeah. No, I, I'm sure I'm sure my wife can't wait for me to <laughs> be walking around at 50. Understandably so. Hank really had nothing coming back for that intro. But uh, as always, we're glad to be here. We're going to get into some topics that uh, we think you'll enjoy on this latest edition of the Built by Bama online podcast, spe- specifically because we're going to go in depth on quarterbacks. And in doing so, we're going to access the Built by Bama online mailbag, which you can find right there on the roundtable on BamaOnline.com. We've got some great quarterback-specific questions, some comments that we'll get to from our loyal subscribers there at BOL as we move throughout the pod. But first, some housekeeping when it comes to both recruiting and team news related to the Alabama Crimson Tide. Charlie, we'll start with you where... Uh, some news involving the the men's basketball roster, and it's also that time of year where we're getting some football scheduling news in terms of dates, times, uh, and television networks for the upcoming season. Yeah, it's been a, a busy week here in, in terms of the news front. Um, you would expect a lot of it to come from, from Destin and the SEC spring meetings, but it's been pretty quiet on that front. But um, you know, just yesterday, uh, it was revealed that Tevin Mack, the rising redshirt senior forward and wing uh, from Alabama, he's not going to be returning. Um, earlier in the week, um, you know, he or it was announced or, or made you know public that he was going to withdraw from the NBA draft after considering that and testing those waters. And a lot of people thought he was going to be returning to school, and and he is coming back to school, but it's just not going to be at Alabama. He's going to be moving on to his third school after starting his career at Texas, and then. Um, you know, transferring, sitting out of the year and playing one year at Alabama. So Tevin Mack's on the move. Uh, he'll be playing somewhere else uh, this upcoming season. And that opens up a spot for, for Nate Oates and his staff have been heavily recruiting since they um, you know, came together and, and Nate Oates was hired. And then from the football aspect, uh, yeah, it's 
this kickoff and, and announcement time and, and kind of just housekeeping on that front. And Alabama's week three uh, road game at South Carolina is going to kick off at 2.30 on CBS. Um, you know, get your get your water, um, get an IV if possible. It's going to be <laughs> hot there in Columbia. I hope that uh, they have the AC blasting in that press box. Uh, I'm looking forward to going to the game, but I was kind of hoping for a night game. Uh, so that's a little disappointing. But they're starting to roll out some of the things for – for the SEC on CBS, and one of the more interesting things is when um, Alabama plays um, LSU. Uh, that's not the the doubleheader weekend, so uh, they're going to have one game at two thirty, and usually CBS is going to pick the the Alabama LSU game more often than not. So that's going to be the first time I think since uh, twenty ten. It's nearly a decade since that game hasn't been at night. Uh, if, if CBS goes and picks that, ESPN could always pick it up if they decide to go elsewhere, but. You know, as we talked about, I don't really know why they would do that. So uh, just a couple of things on the scheduling front and from, from Alabama basketball, and, and we'll see what happens the rest of the week for next week's pod. Yeah, Tevin Mack, interesting, because we had heard from Nate Oates specifically about Tevin Mack a few weeks ago, right, upon Oates taking the job that, you know, he liked the bigger wings that he was inheriting from Avery Johnson, Tevin Mack, uh, Herbert Jones, John Petty. So does it surprise you from that standpoint? Uh, you know, in some situations like this, Charlie, as you know, it's almost encouraged for guys to, to maybe look to, to move on. I, did you get the sense that was the case, though, with Tevin Mack? Yeah, I mean, I was a little bit surprised and it was expected at the same time. Um, yeah, you know, it was a situation where Nate Oates, when he was kind of re-recruiting the team, he was naming players that you kind of thought that he was envisioning having his system for this upcoming season. And Tevin Mack's name came up uh, a few times. And uh, along with Herb Jones and John Petty, uh, he mentioned Kyra Lewis quite a bit. And he was able to, to bring back uh, Kyra and John Petty. But um, I think also, I don't think Tevin was working out with the team. Um, I don't think Tevin was really around the team during that whole process. So I think he kind of maybe had his mind made up. He put out um, when announcing that he was going to you know, test the, the NBA draft and do so without hiring an agent, um, it, it kind of sounded a little bit like a goodbye to Alabama. So I, I think that he might have had his mind made up early on that, yeah, I'm going to go test the, the NBA draft, see what kind of feedback I can get, and then go back to school, but it won't be back until Tuscaloosa. So I, I think it was, a, it was a mixed bag for me just in terms of what to expect. Um, you know, Nadez was saying all the right things to get him back, but I think Tevin might have had his mind, up, uh, mind made up all along. Yeah, in some instances like this, you'll see a guy maybe move on to a non-Power 5, a group of five type program. You know, Armand Davis went to UC Santa Barbara. I don't think that's going to be the case, though, with Tevin Mack. I'll be surprised if Tevin Mack doesn't end up in a sort of top 25 program situation uh, at his next stop. And three stops in five years, you know, three or four years ago, that was sort of a jaw dropper these days three or four years later, it's pretty much a common occurrence uh, with the way players are moving around uh, in 2019. Hey, Hank South, uh, what about from a recruiting standpoint? What do you got for us of note here in the last few days? Yeah, you know, the biggest development this week is Zach Evans, the number one player in the country, according to the 24-7 Sports Composite rankings. Um, He's a five-star running back out of the Houston area. He put out his top five on – Yesterday, uh, Tuesday evening, uh, it consisted of Alabama, LSU, Georgia, Ohio State, and Oklahoma. 
And I, I think the biggest news out of that, you know, we, we expected Alabama to be in that group for Zach Evans. He's been a longtime top target of Nick Saban and staff. He's visited, I think, three times total in his recruitment. Um, he's going to be back at some point in June, possibly this weekend, um, out for for a visit. Uh, but the biggest, I think, storyline out of that is he didn't have Texas or Texas A&M as a part of his top five. You know, the number one player in the nation in both of those programs backyard in a hotbed area for for the Longhorns and Aggies as far as recruiting efforts go uh, he left them both out so you know that that was kind of a, a big development there which I think kind of opens the door more for uh, you know Zach Evans potentially playing in the SEC I know I know obviously Texas A&M is in the SEC but uh, for a long time you know Alabama LSU and Georgia have been kind of the schools mentioned the most with him and of course Ohio State and Oklahoma are in there too so uh, pretty interesting development as far as uh, re- recruiting goes and uh, you know just gets Bama, you know, one step closer to potentially uh, getting him in their class. And I was actually, it was actually pretty interesting. I looked back and uh, since 2015, Alabama has signed the number one or two running backs in the country um, each year, except for 2018 when they, when they signed Jerome Ford. So uh, they're pretty used to, to signing these elite guys. Um, and oftentimes, you know, elite guys out of state, whether it be Najee Harris or even BJ Emmons, if you look back at the 2016 class, he was rated the number two running back. So uh, Bama firmly in the mix for Zach Evans. Um, and, and I think, you know, we're going to see the staff continue to push for him. And that ties in with one of our uh, podcast mailbag questions, Crimson D247 on the BO. L Roundtable asks, which running back do you like the most, Kendall Milton or Zachary Evans? Maybe more importantly, which of those two do you think is atop the board for the Alabama coaching staff? Uh, And also, what running backs would you compare maybe those two guys to uh, from a standpoint of style, measurables, uh, those things? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, starting with Kendall Milton, I think the easy comparison is Najee Harris. You know, he's he's more of that power guy uh, that also doesn't, you know, he, he has he has the speed there and maybe not, you know, that elite breakaway speed, but enough and, and, and impressive enough at six foot two, 220 pounds, you know, to get the job done. Um, you, you know, Kendall Milton, I think that's the biggest difference with him and Zach Evans. You know, Zach Evans, he kind of just checks all the boxes. He's more of that compact 5'11", 200 pound running back that we see a lot. But, you know, he tested at the opening back in March, I think. Uh, he had a 4.51 uh, laser time 40, which, you know, for, for high school kids these days, that's, that's a really good time at, at that position. Uh, but I think the most impressive time was he had a 3.84 shuttle, which kind of just goes to show, you know, how athletic he is and how agile he is as a running back. Uh, he had a 37-inch vertical. So, you know, Zach Evans kind of checks more boxes in terms of just athletic ability and just kind of the overall freak uh, running backs in this class, Kendall Milton, you know, like I said, more of that Najee Harris type, that big, that big back that, you know, you can run in, in between the tackles and, and get the job done there. But, you know, I think he's more of kind of the four, six, four, seven range speed as far as that goes. So, you know, I think both Zach Evans and Kendall Milton are, are the two guys on top of Alabama's want list as far as running backs go in the, in the, um, 2020 class. I don't, I don't think You'd see Bama turning down either one of them if they wanted to come. And Bama's in it for both of them. You know, Zach Evans just put out his top five last night. Kendall Milton put out his top four two weeks ago, and Bama's in it for both of them. So we're going to see both those guys on campus here in the coming months on official visits, um, probably unofficial visits as well, as they kind of 
work towards getting these guys in the class. But I, I, you can't go wrong with either one of them. And honestly, I mean, I, I think Zach Evans is kind of like Roydell Williams in terms of, you know, frame and ability. So if you've got a guy like Kendall Milton to compliment that, um, you're not going to go wrong with either of them. But, you know, Kendall Milton may serve as more of a complimentary back to, to Roydell Williams as opposed to what Zach Evans, um, you know, would, would bring to the table. But, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see Bama get either of those guys. They're in good shape for both of them. Um, I, I think Bama's going to end up getting another five-star back in this class. It just depends on which one. Speaking of five-star backs and really running backs in general for the 2019 class, uh, Hank, neither Keelan Robinson or Trey Sanders on campus at the time of this recording, which was midday on Wednesday. What's the expectation for the two newcomers in terms of their arrival here in Tuscaloosa? Yeah, you know, th- there's no cause for concern on either of them. Keelan Robinson is actually still finishing up school um, out in Washington, D.C. He has, uh, I think he has prom on Friday, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, still has some finals. So uh, he's going to finish that up. Um, and then Trey Sanders, um, he his dad told me they're on their way. They're going to be officially on campus and enrolled next week. So that's the expectation there. So, you know, it, it, it's a pretty good, it's a good thing. You know, we're not having any uh, summer enrollee drama like we kind of saw last year with, with Jordan Davis and not being able to end up getting in the class. And, you know, it seems like that kind of happens with one or two guys every year as far as uh, getting to campus and, and getting all squared away uh, after signing in February. So, Everyone's set. Um, Sanders next week, Robinson later this week, possibly early next week. And then Jaleel Billingsley, the the tight end signing, he's expected on campus this weekend as well. But other than that, everyone's on campus. It's the Built by Bama online podcast with Charlie Potter, Hank South, and Travis Ryer. And we're going to transition now into our topic of the day. And guys, that is the quarterback position. And man, what a year, what a difference a year makes. Uh, You know, a little over 13, 14 months ago, Gardner Minshew was expected to roll into Tuscaloosa into that quarterback room for the 2018 Crimson Tide. You had Jalen Hurts and Tua Tonga-Vailoa representing the top position battle in all of college football heading into the summer months and then, of course, fall camp last August. Well, you fast forward a year later, Gardner Minshew is now a Jacksonville Jaguar after a big year at Washington State bypassing Alabama altogether. Jalen Hurts is now in Norman, Oklahoma, set to take over an offense that has produced each of the last two Heisman Trophy winners. You hear all that, Charlie, and think, wow, Alabama is going through some real transition at the position, but really nearly all of its passing game production from a year ago returns. So with that, I ask you, Charlie, is Alabama really in all that much worse of a situation behind center than it was a year ago? No, um, it's funny because uh, down in Destin, Nick Saban was was asked about the quarterbacks and specifically to Atongo Vailoa, and uh, it was it was brought up how it's definitely a different conversation this year because last year uh, he had one of his more I guess entertaining press conferences at one of these SEC meetings, and that was the the topic and discussion that dominated the entire off season. But now it is different, um, but. I think that in terms of just where the situation lies, you obviously know what you have in Tua. Um, he's a guy that's going to go out and probably compete for a Heisman Trophy if he stays healthy. And that's the big question is if he can stay healthy. We saw last spring he hurt his hand. He went through knee and ankle injuries last year. An ankle injury actually knocked him out of the SEC championship game. And Jalen Hurts had to go in. So I, I think the where you look at how the room is different is there's not a lot of experience behind Tua. Um, you had Jalen there as kind of that 
safety net that um, you know that you knew that if something happened to you, you had somebody that had game experience that was twenty six and two as a starter that could go in and, and play. And he actually you know, led Alabama to a comeback win over Georgia in that SEC title game. So you don't have that this year. Um, I think that's something that the offseason, fall camp, is going to be really important for guys like Matt Jones and Talia Tonga-Valoa, who I think are going to be battling for that number two spot after um, you know they both played well in the spring. I think it's going to be big for those guys to take that next step and to show that they are capable and give the coaches the trust that they have that they can go into a game if something happens to Tua. Um, you know, in a perfect world, Tua stays healthy, plays, you know, the first three quarters of every game and goes out and wins the Heisman Trophy and Alabama wins the national championship. But we know Alabama hasn't had that luck when it's come to injuries in the past. So um, I think the big difference this year is just the experience of the room, because with Jalen leaving, um, you know, it kind of leaves that hole of the next guy up. He doesn't have the game experience and the wherewithal that, that Jalen had before he left for Oklahoma. Yeah, I guess that speaks to also, right? Saban's comments on Tuesday down in Destin about Tua needing to challenge himself because what you just talked about, Jalen's not there anymore to provide that sort of boost and that consistent presence as a legitimate challenger for reps uh, in that quarterback situation. So what we've seen from Tua, though, Charlie, does does that speak to a guy that that needs that sort of challenger right there with him or is this a guy that in your opinion we've seen enough to feel like he's self-motivated he's going to do what he needs to do not only that for himself but also in terms of a leadership role for this team in general yeah I think I think the Jalen aspect helped but I also think that the loss to Clemson will motivate not only Tua but the rest of this team Um, I think that it's a perfect example of maybe getting complacent and kind of you know getting relaxed there at the end of the season. That's something that Nick Saban has talked about a lot. That's something that Tua has talked about. Um, I don't remember where he did the interview with. I think it might have been Feinbaum, but I'm not 100%, 100% sure on that. But he talked about how Alabama might have been better off if they had lost a game earlier in the year. And that's just something you don't hear from an Alabama player. That's not the mindset they had. But they, they went back and reflected and realized that last year they weren't playing with the same uh, motivation, the same mindset that they were earlier in the year whenever they were destroying people. Uh, game in and game out. So I think for Tua, yeah, Nick Saban down in Destin said that he has to challenge himself to get back. Um, the being hurt might have been an issue later in the season and that he has to challenge himself to get back healthy, to get back in great shape and overcome some of those things that, that happened toward the end of the year. But I think Tua also, hearing him talk uh, at the Steve Clarkson QB retreat over the weekend, he's kind of taking that mindset of you know being a leader for this team Uh, to use what happened as motivation, but also moving on from it. And I think with all that kind of culminating together, um, he'll be okay. Um, We've seen what Tua can do. He's one of the most talented quarterbacks in the country. And if if he has the right mindset, if he's, you know, reading the defense, taking what the defense gives, taking care of his body, and, um, you know, being the leader that Alabama needs him to be, then they're going to be in good shape. You know what I like about Tua maybe more than anything else is the fact that he returns – four wide receivers who accounted for 201 catches, 3,597 yards, and 32 TDs last year. Yeah, I think Tua in the passing game is going to be just fine, even with Steve Sarkeesian checking in and another offensive coordinator, uh, quarterbacks coach, being in Tua's ear for a third consecutive year. I, I think they'll be okay, though. Probably the defense will continue to be the primary concern out there. 
for Alabama fans when looking at the 2019 season. What about it, though, Hank? Charlie touched on it. Kind of the backup situation, the competition there. Um, we'll get into Mac Jones a little bit more here in a minute with with Charlie. But tell us in terms of readiness, as far as guys that you've covered on the recruiting beat, Talia Tonga-Vailoa, Paul Tyson, where do they kind of stack up with some maybe previous guys that that Alabama has brought in? Well, look, look at Leah it, it, coming into this situation, and we saw him in the spring. Did did you sort of envision him as being on a similar level to Tua when he arrived at Alabama, or is there still maybe a little bit more work to be done there? And and talk about Tyson too from that standpoint. Yeah, you know, I I, I mean to. With, with Leah, I, I think Tua has always been was more polished of a prospect. Like like Tua was ready to come in and play, and we obviously saw that after the um, 2017 season when he came in in the title game. But with Leah and, and Paul Tyson, um, I, those are both two developmental quarterbacks, and and you know um, I, I think they're in a really good situation. You know, obviously Leah has Tua; he's had Tua his whole life as a guy to look up to and kind of learn from. He's been doing that, you know, since Tua's been at Alabama, not just since he's been on campus. Um, so he's had that, and, and they they have him to look up to, and they have a guy like Mac Jones, who you know he hasn't played a lot in games, but also has been around the program for a while, and he, he's kind of learned the ins and outs and everything. And obviously they do have a new offensive coordinator, the new offensive system, but at the same time they have kind of those those guys to look up to and kind of you know, watch, um, uh, every day and workouts and in practice and all that, and can kind of learn from because, uh, both are, I mean, they're both four-star quarterbacks in the 2019 class that they, they have all sorts of talent, but, uh, they're both going to need a couple years in the program, uh, in, in my opinion, before they're actually ready to contribute, uh, uh, on the, at the next level. So uh, I, I think they both kind of came into good situations where, the, you know, they can both compete with each other in that kind of backup role where they're not in that spotlight of having to go in and, and challenge for QB one, uh, obviously with Tua having that firmly established and then having a guy like Mac Jones to learn from, um, you know, for the next year. And then one, once their time comes and, and they can be out there next spring, uh, assuming, you know, Tua moves on to the NFL after his junior season, um, I, I think they'll be in much better positions to, you know, have a better grasp on everything and be able to really compete uh, for that job. You know, uh, Charlie, uh, we see it in the, the the Built by Bama online podcast mailbag thread that's up right now on the roundtable at BOL. One and only Bama bro. His question is, is there a real possibility that Leah could be the backup heading into the 2019 season? Kind of a twofold question, in my opinion. Uh, how real do you think that possibility is going into the season now? I'm talking about coming out of fall camp, the number two guy, Leah. But also, how do you think a guy like Mac Jones uh, sort of responds to that? Do you think Mac Jones hears this sort of wave of uh, expectations and almost an ease in which a lot of Alabama fans anticipate Leah becoming the number two guy behind his older brother, what about Mac Jones and all of this? I think it's very similar. It's obviously not on as grand of a scale, but it's similar to the the Tua and the the Jalen talk. And I think it's good for both of those players because I do think maybe not for game one and exiting fall camp, but I do think that Talia can be the number two quarterback. I think in the 8A game, he showed plenty of capability, plenty of uh, ability and talent out there uh, to, to to run the offense, to make the throws that are necessary to get the players open and uh, get them in positions to score just like Tua does. 
um, he has to, you know, continue to learn the playbook and get in the system, um, you know, work with Scott Cochran, and all of those things. But I, I think the presence of Talia is good for Mac Jones in the, the sense of competition. Um, you know, Mac had a pretty good spring. I think the second spring wasn't so hot for him or really any of the quarterbacks, but he had multiple interceptions, but he bounced back kind of like he did, uh, uh, the spring prior where he was the 8A game MVP with Joe Bulavos, but he had a game high, I think, 271 yards, um, threw a couple of touchdowns and a pick, and only threw four incompletions. And um, I, I think that he's shown an ability to to be that backup. He just has to mature because we saw him go in the LSU game in Baton Rouge and kind of look like a deer in the headlights. I think you know these next several months, whenever they're doing seven-on-sevens and things like that, once we get in the fall camp, it's going to be really big for Mac to kind of take that next step. But I think the presence of Talia and the talent that he has and the, the capability, I think, to, to be that number two quarterback, maybe not game one, but maybe, you know, midway through the season and the latter portions of the season, I think that'll push him and then continue to motivate him as well. So I think the, the situation Alabama's in, while it's not as, um, I guess, comforting for Nick Saban and company to have a guy like Jalen Hurts who has that experience, uh, I think that the promise and the potential of these two young quarterbacks uh, can can make Steve Sarkeesian and, and Nick Saban maybe rest a little bit easier than that time. Here's what I liked about Mac Jones on A-Day, and it said something to me. He threw the pick early, and it was ugly. Threw it right to uh, true freshman early enrollee linebacker Shane Lee. And you think, wow. That's not a mistake a guy going into his third year in the program can make, even in a spring game when he's trying to fend off a couple of newcomers in Talia Tonga-Vailoa and Paul Tyson. But, man, did he ever rebound from that mistake. And you can say, well, he was working against the second-team defense. Well, he was, but he was also working with the second-team offense. It wasn't like he was – he had the one surrounding him going against the twos. I loved the response by Mac Jones to that early mistake. And he was lights out, as you said, Charlie, from that point forward uh, in that spring game. It is one spring game. It is one scrimmage. I get it. There's a lot more that goes into competitions than just that. But that sequence told me that if you think Mac Jones is going to go just quietly into the horizon, and, and allow Talia Tagovailoa or Paul Tyson to just step into that number two role. Coming out of fall camp, as, as we made sure to to note there, uh, think again. Uh, I, don't, I don't think Mac Jones is just going to give this thing up. It's, it's interesting, too, Hank, in that just like that class, right, with Tua Tagovailoa and Mac Jones, Talia is in a class with a second quarterback, with another quarterback in Paul Tyson. In terms of readiness coming into the program, we talked about this a little bit before, but I want to get specific to Talia and Paul Tyson. Is the separation between Talia and Tyson about the same as it was between Tua and Mac Jones a few years ago, or is it maybe a little tighter than that was? Uh, I I think it's a little bit tighter. Um, you know, I, I think Talia was certainly, you know, a, a better quarterback prospect than Paul Tyson. You know, you can make the case for either of them. Paul Tyson kind of being that, uh, you know, that typical quarterback frame you see, 6'4", 220, around that range. Talia uh, a little bit on the shorter side. Uh, but, you know, I, I think uh, it, it, I, between Tua and Mac, I, it was clear 
that that Tua had the edge there in the 2017 class. You know, Tua's arm talent, you know, is second to none in that cycle, um, and he certainly proved that why, proved why he was such a better prospect than than anybody in the in the quarterback position in the 2017 class thus far in his career. Um, with Telly and Tyson, you know, I, I think that you can make the argument. I mean, you could you could kind of go back and forth with either one as far as you know how how wide that gap is between either. So you know, I, I think it's a little bit more narrow between those two than it was uh, between Tua and Mac in the 2017 class so charlie we've got a question in the mailbag from ghost of bryant who wants to know how has tua meshed with steve sarkeesian was Tua's performance in the spring game statistically it certainly wasn't all that pretty not by his standards anyway was his performance in the spring game a cause for concern a or a statistical blip um what what have we seen have we seen enough from this pairing to to make any hard and fast judgments we know they have a relationship that extends well beyond to his time even at Alabama uh, any reasons for concern I guess coming out of the spring with with this uh with this change to Sark no I don't think so and um you know one of the things you talk about to his performance you mentioned how Mac Jones is getting going against the twos, well, two is going against the ones. You have a, a healthy Trayvon Diggs over there. You have Dylan Moses, Raekwon Davis. Um, <laughs> you had Anthony Jennings. The list goes on and on. He's going against their first-team defense, and that's always a challenge. But uh, I also think that – and Nick Saban made a um, comment about this after the 8-8 game. It was the most vanilla game plan they could have put together uh, for the offense um, to get as many players on the field as they could – and they weren't showing anything. Um, you know, two was asked about Sark while he was out in California this past weekend. And, and he said that, you know, he wouldn't say that he's taught them things they didn't know. It's more that he's sharpening the things that they know already and just helping them become the best players that they can be. And I think for that, you know what Tua has. You're not going to go out and change the wheel, um, but you're going to sharpen what he already has, sharpen the tools and the capabilities that he already has and do what he does best in that offense. And we haven't seen the full extent of that, um, you know, the summer fall camp, all that's going to be where they implement that. But, um, you know, I know that he's excited for the opportunity to, to work with Sark. They, they have that relationship uh, off the field from a recruiting standpoint before Sark and Tua both got to Alabama. I think he's excited to see him in Tuscaloosa and to be back with him. And then, um, you know, if, if he can just not get in the way and, you know, allow those those four wide receivers to do what they do and Najee Harris and, and Brian Robinson, I think this this offense can be uh, just as good, if not better, than last year. It's just if Tua can stay healthy, can do the little things uh, right, can take advantage of the defense of what the defense gives. And we talked a lot about that, um, you know, sliding, not putting his body in jeopardy and, and checking down to the running backs when he needs to. Um, if Sark can get Tua to buy into that, then I think everything's going to go pretty well. Yeah, Charlie, we heard more about full field reads, didn't we, in the spring with Sark taking over. And I think some people took that to mean, well, the RPOs are on the way out. No, the RPOs aren't on the way out. I just think it's more about taking Tua's development to that next level in which he is actually reading the full field instead of taking hints and tips pre-snap and making pre-snap decisions, hard and fast pre-snap decisions, uh, and, and going in that direction once the ball is snapped. As we saw, Clemson took advantage of that, and I think this is Sark trying to avoid some of those mistakes down the road with an emphasis more on full field reads. And as you said, Charlie, maintaining his health and getting the ball out. Take the check down when it's there. 
You know, you've got backs that can catch the football, even with Josh Jacobs and Damian Harris moving on. Najee Harris, Brian Robinson, Trey Sanders coming in. You've got guys, Miller Forstall is going to be fine at tight end, I think. It doesn't always have to be intermediate to deeper routes. You can take those underneath routes, those secondary third receivers, and still have a lot of success and maintain your health, more importantly, while doing so. Sticking with Sark, Hank, tell us about maybe what's in the pipeline for the Alabama quarterback position from a recruiting standpoint and how much of an impact, if any, has Sark had on that area? Yeah, you know, it's going to be an interesting summer to see how this kind of comes together at the quarterback position. Obviously, if you follow Alabama recruiting, uh, Bama got a commitment from Carson Beck last summer, or about this time, you know, a couple weeks uh, into June, uh, from Carson Beck. And, and, you know, obviously that all kind of went south after Danny Nose and Brent Key left the staff, he, he decommitted and then ultimately ended up at Georgia. Um, so they kind of had to, you know, start with a fresh slate at the quarterback position and, and it happened kind of, it kind of coincided right when Steve Sarkeesian came back to the staff and, and the quarterback we've been talking about all spring uh, is Bryce Young, the number one dual threat quarterback in the nation. He's currently committed to USC, uh, which, you know, obviously he, he's already made a commitment and he, and he seems pretty firm with it, but Alabama has been kind of sticking in there. You know, he was expected at a day for an unofficial visit um, to kind of get to know the staff and, and spend time on campus. Um, he wasn't able to make it. Uh, he had a little bit of a family emergency that weekend and was not able to travel out from California. But, uh, you know, we've been we've been keeping in contact with his camp, with his dad. And, and he said they are going to make it out for a visit at some point, possibly in June, uh, maybe in late July, uh, w- whenever the dead period is open. Um, and kind of get a feel for everything. And, and it, he's an interesting one to watch. You know, obviously, Steve Sarkeesian has ties to the state of California. Um, the young family knows him. They're familiar with him. It's it's kind of similar to the whole Tua situation as far as uh, uh, the familiarity there. Um, and so, you know, uh, he seems to be the top target at this point. Um, you know, there's going to be other guys that come in at camp next month and throw for the staff. You know, we saw Mac Jones kind of state his case at camp in, in, tw- in the summer of 2016 when he flipped from Kentucky after putting on a really good performance there. So I think we're going to learn a lot about where things stand with Bryce Young and, you know, the quarterback position and, and wh- who the staff is going after as a whole in the month of June when guys can get on campus and get put through their workouts. Because up to this point, you know, Steve Sharkeesian has been on the trail. He's been on the recruiting trail seeing these guys throw at their schools. Now they're going to get the chance to see these guys throw at their camp in person and, and kind of get a better evaluation of them at that from that standpoint and putting them through their own workouts and kind of seeing how they respond to that. So, um, you know, Bryce Young is a really interesting one to watch, especially considering he's, you know, he, he's, he's fielding that interest from Alabama. You know, he's been receptive to it. You know, how serious is he? I think we'll find out in June or later this summer. And, and then, um, it, you know, if, if he doesn't flip, if, if things don't work out there, as far as, you know, how Bama, it seems like they want it to, uh, I think we'll learn some other names going down the line. All right, guys, as we wrap up this edition of the Built by Bama online podcast, JMRB on the roundtable thread there for the podcast mailbag. He wants some over-unders for last year's totals for Tua Tonga-Vailoa. He's got an over-under for completion percentage. Tua completed 69% of his passes last season. Yards, 39-66. Touchdowns, 43 and interception six. What about it, Charlie? Those four categories for Tua Tonga Vailoa over under completion percentage, yards, TDs, interceptions. All one or two, three or none. What do you think? First of all, that's a lot of numbers and a lot of math. Um, <laughs> I think if if Tua can stay 
healthy, he can have a better statistics season. Um, the the interesting thing, though, is regardless of his health, if Alabama is the buzzsaw that it was last year on offense, then he's not going to play a lot in these games. Uh, they're going to want to get Mac Jones and Talia Tonga Valoa and maybe even Paul Tyson uh, some, some meaningful reps late in games to get them to run the offense and get comfortable and familiar with that. But um, I think if, if Tua can stay healthy, um, if Alabama is able to, to run the table um, and get back to the college football playoff, I think it's completely possible. Uh, we've talked about how he has all four of his receivers back. I think Miller Forstall can be uh, a talented tight end. You have some young guys. When, when Kedrick James gets uh, available and if he you know has the right mindset, he can be a weapon for this offense. If he can get the running backs involved, guys like Najee and, and Brian Robinson and a guy like Trey Sanders, if you can get all those guys involved, uh, I think he can do it. Um, for me, you know, I mean, he almost passed for 4,000 yards last year, but I think he can do a little bit better than that, maybe 4,250. Uh, the touchdowns, that's a lot, but we saw what he can do with leading uh, receivers into long plays and what guys like Jerry Judy, uh, Henry Ruggs, and Jalen Waddle can do with their speed once they get the ball in their hands. Um, and have the momentum on their side. Uh, so I think he can do more than the than the 43 touchdowns. And, and the picks, um, you know, he went, what, the first half of the season without throwing an interception, and that kind of came later in the year when he dealt with the injuries. If he can stay healthy, I could see that number going down too. So uh, I would go with those three. Uh, the completion percentage, you just never know. He's an, he's an accurate passer, uh, but nearly completing 70% of your, your passes – uh, with the the rate that he was throwing is, is still pretty damn good. So um, for Tua, if if he can stay healthy, I think he can have a great season. Maybe surpass what he was able to do last year, and uh, maybe even you know win that Heisman Trophy. We'll see. What do you think, Hank? Those numbers over under. What do you think? Uh, everything Charlie just said. No, I'm just I'm just joking. <laughs> um, no, I just think there, there's just too many offensive weapons. I, I think you could certainly make the case for having a better season. I think it all just comes down to, you know, how comfortable is he with Steve Sarkeesian? You know, how is that aspect going to play into all of this? But like you kind of said earlier, you know, if, if he's doing this full field read thing, um, as far as the check downs, getting the ball to the running backs out of the backfield, if, if his first or second option aren't there, you know, that, that could honestly, that could easily, you know, increase his completion percentage. That can increase easily increases yardage. So um, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him, um, you know, surpass what he did last season. You know, like Charlie said, 43 touchdowns is a lot. Um, but, you know, with the talent he has surrounding him, plus the guys coming in, you got John Mechie that had a good, good uh, spring as well. Plus the guys coming back. Um, you know, I, I don't see any reason why you can't think he can't replicate that, especially, you know, if he is playing later in games too, you know, this is all, a lot of the stuff he did was, was, you know, early on in games before he sat the fourth quarter. So um, I I don't see why he can't, you know, replicate, if not do better this upcoming season. Yeah. I think he goes over in all four. I think he uh, completion percentage for some of the reasons you just outlined, Hank, the, 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 the emphasis on getting the ball to check downs. I think that helps his completion percentage. Not that 69% isn't nice, but he can go 70 and above um, yards. I agree with, I think yards and TDs and even interceptions come down to Jalen hurts no longer being around. I think Charlie is right in the sense that Alabama is absolutely going to want to get Mac Jones and, or uh, Talia Tonga Vailoa and perhaps even Paul Tyson with the four game redshirt rule. You, you could potentially see all four. I'm not, I'm not saying that's going to happen necessarily, nor do I think it's likely, uh, but it's possible. 
but I think that, you know, Jalen had eight touchdown passes last year. That's not a lot, but I got to think that Tua is going to get a few of those for himself this year um, w- with some of the playing time. But, yeah, I, I think it's going to be close. I, I agree. And, and here, here's the thing, guys. You got to keep winning. You know, these numbers from last year are based on 15 games. That means you got to get to the national championship game again. Uh, and, and so that that's the, sort of the tricky aspect of these type of questions or these type of uh, uh, over-unders is that you know, they're contingent on the number of games you play. Uh, and so it's going to require another deep run from this Alabama team in general for Tua to ascend beyond those numbers from a year ago. Well, as always, guys, appreciate the time. Always great stuff from Charlie Potter and also Hank South. Guys, have a great weekend. All right, man, you too. Thanks, you too. Enjoyed it. There they go. Charlie Potter, Hank South. Travis Ryer reminding you to keep it locked to BamaOnline.com. We'll have another podcast coming for you very soon. Until then, follow Charlie Potter, follow Hank South, follow myself right there at BamaOnline.com. So long, everybody.